Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. From school boards to scandals to vaccines, this is Vincent Jason, Save the Nation. Racism? What's that? If Mississippi were a country, you would have the second worst per capita death toll in the world. All of these problems in some ways showed up after he said something basically the exact opposite. But have we lost track of the goals? The goals here are to try to protect Americans from dying from this disease. No major religious denomination in the U.S. outright opposes vaccinations. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. It's great to see you. Welcome to all our viewers. We're back here on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. It's a Monday. Um, it's been an interesting weekend. Yeah. As we uh, know, we always have some really good Sunday clips to talk about. So one of them I thought was really interesting. Last week, we, we discussed, you know, so-called woke teachers and you know I, I you know I had some issues with the way it was all categorized in some situations the way we kind of clipped a lot of things together some things that were worthy of discussion and some things that weren't but I think you know in order to bring a little bit of balance to this there's some things going on in particularly in Pennsylvania and New York where school mm -hmm. districts are questioning some of the sources that are there and this is on the heels you know you remember when we were discussing you know books that were, you know, maybe appropriate, whether it was Dr. Seuss or others. Uh, there are some books that are being canceled by some right-wing people. So let's take a look. Do you think the adults that banned these books have read these books? Absolutely not. Oh, no, definitely not. Absolutely not. Because I don't think a moral compass could let you ban books that say Correct. equality and loving each other. These teenagers in York, Pennsylvania, are standing up to the latest example of controversy surrounding history and race that is affecting a growing number of America's public schools. The school board cannot just silence our voices. Last fall, the all-white school board of the Central York School District unanimously banned a list of educational resources. And that resource list, which has a lot of bad ideas and some books that I would definitely not want in our district. And I do not feel it's balanced, and I think it's divisive. That list includes a children's book about Rosa Parks, Lala Yousafzai's autobiography, CNN's Sesame Street Town Hall on racism, racism? What's that? and much, much more. This is hidden figures. I don't, uh, the movie was, you know, uh, uh, like from the movie. Yeah. yeah. This is the, the kids' movie. version of the book from the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's frustrating for the students. This is a board that, after hearing their students' concerns about diversity in the district, hearing my struggles with race, being an Indian American, and, and co consistently feeling like I didn't belong, after all those conversations for weeks on end, they still pursued this book ban. I want to learn genuine history. I don't want to learn a whitewashed version. I want to hear all of it. I don't want to... I don't want everyone to be worried about how we feel because no one was worried about how BIPOC um, members of the community felt. The ban caused school librarians to pull books from shelves and is creating real fear among educators. I have to now, with this resource ban, think twice about whether or not I should or could use a James Baldwin quote as an opening 
for my class. There are teachers looking over their shoulders, wondering if someone's going to be at their door, darkening their door, that you said something or you mentioned something or you used something that you were not supposed to. The fact that all the banned materials are by or about people of color is just a coincidence, according to the school board president. Concerns were based on the content of the resources, not the author or topic, she said in a statement. She and the rest of the school board refused to speak on camera. Okay. <clears throat> Banning books on Rosa Parks. What do you think? Uh, well, you know, we went, you know, you and I had a conversation with Vivek Ramaswamy a couple of weeks ago. Great conversation. And yeah. uh, Vivek's been uh, smartly, I think, against, you know, the use of bans as a way to address um, the invasion of propaganda into our schools. That instead, what we should do is, you know, enhance, enhance. Are we, the are we calling a book on Rosa available. Parks? Are we calling a book on Rosa Parks? uh propaganda well one i don't actually know what's in the in the book rosa parks i can show herself. it to you i have it i have the, that book the, the kids book <laughs> yeah it's a kid's book about rosa parks literally it, okay. it just talks about rosa parks oh, i'll take your word for it then i so my assumption is no i'm not talking about rosa parks at all by the way uh you know rosa parks is a, a perfectly fitting figure to talk about in american history of course you should um, no, what I'm talking about is the race essentialism stuff, the Ibram X. Kendi type stuff, the stuff that should be nowhere near school children. Um, but again, how do we address this, right? So at some level, you have to decide what books are actually taught in a classroom, right? And that the job of that is up to the individual teacher, it's up to the school itself, it's up to the uh, school board. You can keep working your way up the governance, but you know what children are taught in school is of in the public interest. I think, you know, I think you and I agree on that. Um, I just, I don't know. It's, it's obviously a difficult thing to try and figure out, okay, how do you do that? You know, I, a bans on books. Yeah. I'm a, I'm opposed to the bans. Um, we just have to figure out a way to, you know, what I, what I'd rather happen actually is that there be, if, if you as a school district are interested in students learning something in particular, then you should be picking the books that are assigned uh, for those grade levels. So that's where you come in and say, okay, if, if the teachers, teachers can have discretion on these areas, they can have discretion on these areas uh, and make it so that, okay, you want to make sure that a kid gets a holistic understanding of American history, assign books that give them a holistic understanding of American history rather than coming in and cherry picking which books that you're going to ban entirely. Um, because, I don't know. I think banning books tends to make people more interested in what's inside of them. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think it's, I, I will say, I mean, I, I just think we can't let this story go without showing the absurdity of it. Like this is absurd. Like this isn't just like, I mean, to me, the Dr. Seuss thing, mm -hmm. I understood why people were upset about that. But this is more absurd, like to ban a book that talks about Rosa Parks or hidden figures, yeah. like black women who, who just, you know, who work for NASA, like you can't have a book on that. Like it's literally right. absurd. Like that is ridiculous. I agree. You know, um, and it wasn't that these were being placed in the curriculum, to my understanding, they pulled them from the library. Mm -hmm. So this was not about teachers teaching it, which, by right. the way. I think any teacher should be able to teach about Rosa Parks. And I think yeah. any teacher should be able to teach about hidden figures. Um, it's, it's like, 
I can understand, you know, I wouldn't agree with it, but I can understand if there were a discussion like, oh, he's teaching about Malcolm X and he's teaching about Malcolm X in a particular way. Um, I think that would be stupid too, but not, you know, I understand the controversy there. But Rosa Parks, <laughs> like, there's probably no more neutral figure who represents what we want to be as yeah. the United States of America than Rosa Parks. Meaning, I might and they're go taking further... it out of the library, not not out of teachers' hands teaching it. Yeah, which I think is also bad. And so I understand those students' frustration about like you really don't want to teach history. I might this go is what further this is than all you. about. I might actually go right. further than you. I I don't know. I, I know you're not saying don't teach about Malcolm X, but like I don't know how you could do the civil rights era without Malcolm X. Right. Um, <laughs> no, so, I agree. That's so, what. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's important that we do think about um, bands reflexively as a bad idea. I think that's a good starting place Um, because what you're trying to do is, you know, it's okay for people to bump into forbidden knowledge and to grapple with it um, and to think, you know, and to assess people from, from 10,000 feet too, especially as they get older and they're able to distance themselves a little bit from the work and begin to think about what it's about. Right. So like, you know, of course, a library should carry a copy of Mein Kampf, right? Obviously, because then you can assess Hitler. Like, it makes sense, like, to use that as the extreme example. Um, so, yeah, I just think I, I uh, what I don't like about stories like this is that um, the absurdity that was on display there or as framed by CNN, I'm kind of I'm kind of trusting CNN's coverage here. The absurdity on display there. I don't want it to take away from the fact that it is entirely reasonable for school boards and schools to have discussions and and have parents be fully informed on those discussions about what's taught in the classroom and what's not. Um, and in particular, like I said, I think the race essentialism stuff and, and especially like the transgender ideology that's being kind of infused into a lot of school systems, especially um, school systems that are closer to cities or major metropolitan areas, um, is the kind of stuff that is worth being on guard for because uh, I think it's um, having a detrimental effect on, on, uh, on society. So I think, you know, in terms of having a resource available, um, mm-hmm. I think there, there, there are probably reasonable parameters and certain things that are not age appropriate, like, mm-hmm. right. you know, um, putting something like Mein Kampf in an elementary school library, I think right. is that's not an age appropriate book. And it would also probably be the most boring book you could possibly pick up if you were like a, a second grader. Like, why would <laughs> you like right. leaf through it and be like, I have no interest in this and move on. <laughs> but still, you know, I, I think that there's there's a way to put it in context that I think, you know, a third grader might not get. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I, I, I just think that there are things that are certain certainly age appropriate. Um, <clears throat> once you get to high school, you know, if someone wants to pick up Mein Kampf from their library, you know, um, hopefully they'll, they're old enough and they've learned enough that they can start to contextualize some of yeah, this. Yeah. Um, I do, I do think we do a disservice when we compare like, you know, Malala to, to, to Hitler, or we compare, Rosa not, Parks. Yeah, not comparing you know them. I mean? Not comparing like, them. No, no, Just I, making I, a point. I, I, yeah, no, I'm not saying that you're you're comparing them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vince, we're good. You know, uh, I know who you are. I, I'm not saying that. <laughs> what 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 I am saying is that um, I think there are certain ideas, themes, 
mm-hmm. um, that are, uh, you know, universally understood as being positive and making good citizens in in the United States. And so having a, a you know, a, a town hall where you've got like a Muppet, you know, it talks about, you know, why it's not good, why racism may not be a good idea. Mm-hmm. And you can have a discussion about that. I really don't think that that's, that's something that would be damaging. I think it's something that helps create good citizens. And parents, if you want your kid to be racist, then, you know, of course you educate them, you know, in the way that you want and say, hey, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's let me what you let think. me throw a Sesame Street thing at you. So like last week, it, I guess it depends on what it is, right? Like last week, uh, Sesame Street announced that they're celebrating Latinx History Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they made this like, you know, they tweeted out this thing and they have these like Muppets talking about Latinx History Month, which is just on its face. It's absurd. Like, you know, you can if you want to talk about like Latin American History Month or Latino History Month or whatever, but like Latinx, like every survey that's done with, you know, among, uh, you know, Latino people, like nobody uses Latinx. Like what history are you celebrating precisely? Um, so it's like, it's more, I guess it's just one of those things. It's like how much, right. You shouldn't ban Sesame Street, but like is Sesame Street really the best resource to be talking about race? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I think many of us, have been socialized to um, respect other cultures, particularly Latino, Latina, and if you wanna use the term Latinx cultures, um, through Sesame Street. I mean, my first mm-hmm. crush was, was Maria from Sesame Street, <laughs> was, was a black Latina. And what did uh-huh. I do? I married a black Latina. Yeah, um, wow. But I, 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 you know, I, I think it is, um, you know, in terms of, First of all, you can learn a lot of Spanish from, from Sesame Street. I know. Take it from me. I, yeah, I, I, I think Sesame Street. Um, and as far as uh, social emotional learning, I, I think Sesame Street is fantastic. You know, um, so if we want to get bogged down in terms <laughs> like that, that we adults sit there and argue about, don't use Latinx. That's ridiculous. I, to me, that's the that's the wrong argument or wrong discussion to be having. If you don't want to use Latinx, don't use Latinx. Like it, it's okay. And my understanding really is Latinx is should be used for people who uh, you know don't necessarily identify with either gender. I mean, Spanish, of course, is a is a gendered language. But if you go to Latin America, nobody uses Latino. That's a uh-huh. new thing in Latin America. That's an American construction. Is yeah, the it's kind of an umbrella Latino. term for anybody south of the border. Right, exactly. So that's kind of something that's that's relatively new. And it's mm-hmm. certainly, you know, if you went to Mexico and you started saying, oh, these people are Latino, but or you're I, Latino, they'd be I, like, what? I realize we didn't start here, but let me just make this point. Like, the, But the idea, though, is like it's supposed to be super respectful, right? Like you're being like respectful of another culture. And again, as you noted, it's like, and actually, no, we're talking about like dozens of cultures, at least, that all get lumped together. Uh, under or latinx latina latina the language itself is gendered like what are we doing like oh, we we put an x on but the la- end so but we here's, can respect all of you right i understand that but here's the thing yeah um like i said nobody really said said latino in Spanish. like it's it's not something that comes out of latin america comes out of the united states right the other thing is languages evolve 
You know, as a matter of fact, this is why we don't speak. If someone from the 16th century came and spoke English to us, we'd be like, what the heck did that guy just say? Because languages evolve, words change, terms change, you know, just like, you know, if, if I asked, I'll tell you really quickly. I, I remember there was a, a big discussion one time at a, at a family barbecue uh, with my aunt Sarah. And just to tell you a little bit about aunt Sarah, aunt Sarah, uh, before, far before Rosa Parks mm -hmm. uh, was asked to give up her seat for a white person. And she refused and fought the cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? So she was a firebrand. She wasn't having it. Um, Aunt Sarah, um, we told her at the time, look, we're Black people. And she grew up in the 30s. So she was like, no, we're not Black, we're colored. And her logic made sense to me as a kid because she was like, look at us all sitting at this table. We're all different colors. We're colored. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, you know, for me at like seven, I was like, made sense to me. I mean, we are all different <laughs> colors. You know, but in reality, again, uh -huh. things evolve. You know, color didn't work for a lot of people. So they went right. to Negro. Negro didn't work for people. So they went to Black, you know, or Black American. That didn't work for some people. They went to Afro-American. Uh -huh. Afro's a hairstyle. We went to African-American. Like these terms evolve. So the next, you know, the way language evolves, like I was reading recently, they just add the, added the word finna to the, uh, did you see this? They're, they added the word finna to the, to the, to the dictionary. dictionary. <laughs> yeah, like I'm finna go record this episode with- uh, How do you spell that? Is it F-I-N-N-A? Yeah. Uh -huh. Finna is actual, is an actual word and is accepted. <laughs> Another well, thing that's changed that's really upset me. It's personally. actually, I, yeah, I don't know. That, that seems kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I'm okay with Finna. But I mean, I, it's, I, just, it's slang. I mean, it's obviously, it's multiple words that, that are just slammed together. But, but slang, again, you know, the idea of what is, you know, standard English evolves over time. The word ain't. Mm -hmm. That's an actual word. It's a contraction. You know what I mean? Um, of what is it? Am not, I guess. I don't know. But ain't is is an actual word. Like, but yet we think of it as as you know poor English. Uh -huh. um, but <laughs> you know, a century ago, people said ain't, and it was actually considered you know pretty standard. Um, so I I don't I think languages evolve. The way we view them evolves words you know come words go language entire languages die yeah so that's for me looking at it you know the word latinx yeah uh to me if you don't like the word latinx don't say the word latinx no like, i'm not saying fun. language doesn't change it's just like you know like like 97 percent of the people it applies to don't use it or don't like it and it's like so in other words it's like you know, this this strikes me as like a bunch of white liberals in some sort of, you know, uh, faculty lounge came up with this. And now they're trying to force it on the rest of us. And you're like, no, nah, that's OK. We don't need to change it. Yeah, I mean, they say that. But the people, the word Latinx came from the Latin queer community. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it did come from Latin people. You know, it's not like, you know, a bunch of white liberals came up with it. That's that's they're nonsense. definitely pushing it, though. They're like the, they're the pushers. 
Well, they're, they're, you know, I think a lot of us are trying to be, you know, people are trying to be respectful. I know, I know, I I meet a lot of, you know, people who identify as Latinx because they're queer. And, you know, my thing, the way I I approach it is uh, I use the word Latinx for people who don't identify with a gender or people who want to use the term Latinx, Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise I say Latino or Latina. Um, So therefore I'm not missing anybody. You know, and I think, <laughs> you know, you're trying to be inclusive yeah. of everybody. And I, and I don't see what's wrong with being inclusive, you know, leaving that 3% out or whatever. If we can include them, let's include them. But, I, you know, Sesame Street celebrating uh, Latin people, particularly Sesame Street was a fictitious place in New York City, huge Latin population, largely Puerto Rican. Um, I think that's a good thing. And And when you look at the the gender non-binary trans community, mm-hmm. um, the people who really were the first activists were, were Latino or, or I guess Latinx retrospectively. Um, you know, it was Sylvia, Sylvia forgot her name, but she was like a big trans activist. And the other was Marsha Johnson, an African-American woman you know, trans woman and a, a Latina trans woman. Um, so to me, coming out of that community, respecting that community, I have nothing, nothing against that. But I just don't, I just, I think the language, making these words more important than the cause is mm-hmm. one of the mistakes that we make is when we make everything about language and the right makes fun of the left for that. And I think they're right about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes we make the, you know, the words more important than the actual substance. Mm-hmm. And now the right is starting to fall victim to that, you know, where they're making the words more important than the substance. The substance of it is that Sesame Street is celebrating people from Latin America yeah. that have made a I, big impact on the United States. I'll just finish on this point, on this topic. I just thought, you know, you and I have discussed before that language is really important because it frames how you understand reality. And, um, so is, so when you see something that confronts you, that you're like there, that basically is a complete shift in language, um, that you can, I think people have a a reflexive nature by and large to oppose that at first. Like, wait, what are you doing? Because you sense that there's an effort to affect how you view reality built into that. Um, and so I think that's where you find some of that opposition. Okay. Well, uh, someone who, who faced a little bit of op- opposition recently was uh, Governor uh, Tate Reeves mm. of Mississippi. And he's been pressed by, by Jake Tapper. And, I, and let me tell you something. Jake Tapper is, you know, I like the fact that Jake Tapper has been going after everybody. You know, like he has been tough on Republicans. He's been tough on Democrats uh, asking the tough questions. So respect to Jake Tapper for that. But he kind of takes uh, Governor Reeves to task, and let's let's see how this un, you know unfolded. The best thing that Americans can do, number one, is to uh, talk to their doctor about potentially getting the vaccine, because in right. our state, some 89 percent of those hospitalized and some 87 percent of those who are are uh, of the deaths are actually coming from those who are unvaccinated. So the number one thing that you can do is you can get you can talk to your doctor about getting vaccinated. The number right. two thing is if you get the virus, and this is very important, if you get the virus, 
Please talk to your doctor about the monoclonal so you're not antibody doing anything. treatment. You're not that is change the best anything. way in which to do that. And unfortunately, the Biden administration continues to try to reduce the allocation to red states like Mississippi and Florida of that monoclonal antibody okay, treatment. Okay, okay. It, Governor, it's, it's outrageous. Governor, if Mississippi were a country, you would have the second worst per capita death toll in the world. And I'm saying, are you going to do anything to try to change that? Jake, as, as I mentioned earlier, deaths, unfortunately, are a lagging indicator. Our total number of cases went from 100 to 3,600, and over the last two weeks has declined. They have been cut in half from 3,600 to 1,800. When you wanted me to come so you think three, it's, so you think ago, this you is successful? Our number of cases. And then you want to talk about our hospitalizations. Now you want to talk about a lagging indicator, uh, which uh, is sad. And, and it's I'm trying horrible. to talk about and dead I, I, Mississippians is what I'm trying to talk all about. all 9,000 Mississippians that have passed away. But let's put this in perspective, Jake. I mean, the reality is Mississippi accounts for 1% of the U.S. population. We account for 1.1% of the total number of cases in America. And we account for 1.29% of the total number of fatalities in America. So what do you think about what Tate Reeves had to say? Well, first of all, I didn't realize how much Tate Reeves looks like the I'm a PC guy. Remember the old Mac ads? I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, definitely. Totally. I, I, you know what? I didn't think about that. He looks exactly and, like that guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In uh, fact, did that guy become governor of Mississippi? Is that what happened? I guess Was so. that Tate Reeves? Yeah, they liked how you move real slow. I'm yeah, I like that. Um, I'm not sure what Jake Tapper wants Tate Reeves to do. I suspect I know what I, Jake Tapper wants Tate Reeves to do. I think he wants him to mandate the vaccine. Um, but, you know, it sounds to me like so Tate Reeves is out there saying, look, uh, the people have the choice. I'm encouraging them to get vaccinated. That's clearly the the best prevention against the virus. And for those of you who get it, um, monoclonal antibodies is the answer. Um, he's right about that. Yeah, um, I guess this will be a, a pretty short one. Um, I think Tate Reeves, right there. Number one, I don't, I don't know what that, or I, I really don't believe Jake Tapper had an answer necessarily in mind. He was like, "You are failing. What are you going to do differently?" And Tate mm -hmm. Reeves essentially, uh, by casting aspersions, was essentially saying nothing. We're not going to do anything left and anything differently. Our cases are going down now. You know, we lost a whole lot of people. And then he started taking out some some uh, statistics out of context when, you know, Jake Tapper was saying, look, we're talking per capita. Um, and I think there are a lot of areas where Tate Reeves is is struggling as a governor. You know, Mississippi is the poorest state in the nation. It's 45th in education. It's fourth in gun right. violence or in gun violence uh, related deaths. Uh, so, I mean, I think there are a lot of areas where Tate Reeves uh, maybe thinks the idea is to do nothing and it'll fix itself. But when he says, I mean, well, I don't think he's doing nothing. I mean, he obviously is encouraging vaccination and trying to secure monoclonal antibodies for his population. But when he cites the statistic that over these last few weeks, the number of deaths have halved, the average daily deaths have cut, been cut in half. Um, you know, Jake sits there and says, oh, so you're going to do nothing. I mean, it is reasonable for him to say, well, we're on a downward trajectory right now. So 
Um, that is a good sign. And so we're going to keep trying to get people vaccinated and we're going to keep seeking these monoclonal antibodies, which by the way, like I, I, I'm still struggling to understand. I don't know how closely you've been following this. I'm still struggling to understand why the Biden administration decided to cut off the supply to states like Florida and Mississippi of monoclonal antibodies. They, they, they claim that, that they want to distribute it across the country for, for equity's right. sake. But the reality is the need for the monoclonal antibodies is clearly in these states. So why not keep supplying them so long as the need can be met? So here's my understanding of it. My understanding is that there are uh, few resources right now, or there is a limited supply. Mm -hmm. So they want to ration it out uh, to as many states as need them, not just continually give it to two states or one state, really. I mean, uh, the, the big debate was Florida. Tate Reeves has decided to enter himself into that as well. Um, and I think you know, that's the big thing is that, you know, other, other states, Wyoming's going to need it or some other state is sure. going to need it. Sure. And there are limited supply, whereas we've got a large supply of vaccine. And again, I, I think that a lot of these states and their leaders relate to the party in telling people to get vaccinated. So I, I, Not I think Florida. at the beginning. Not Florida. Um, Ron DeSantis has been Ron saying DeSantis it for a long time. Ron DeSantis has been pushing, you know, uh, certainly pushing Regeneron, which I think is a good thing. Regeneron mm -hmm. is is positive. Uh, it is uh, what is it? Fifty two times more expensive than uh, just right. getting vaccinated. Right. And as much as people try to say vaccination does not prevent infection, that's that's just not correct. Uh, it just doesn't prevent it in a hundred percent of the cases. Um, it it certainly lowers your chance of being infected, and certainly. Uh, will lower your chance of being hospitalized or dying. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I like the fact that now a lot of these governors, the Tate Reeves, the, the governor of Alabama, the governor you know, of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, and others are saying get vaccinated. You know, um, I guess we, we can't go backward, but they were a little late to the party with that. And, and I think um, you know, Regeneron is a great thing. We have to make sure that everybody has access to the resources because yes. pretty soon other states are going to be like, well, look, we're, yeah. we're in a bad place. What happened to all this Regeneron? It's all, my it's only all in point, Florida. My only point is that there weren't shortages of monoclonal antibodies in other states. Like in other, they were meeting their needs. And all of a sudden, like the Biden administration has decided to redirect the supply across to all of these other states. So now what you have is states who have surplus supply and Florida uh, and Mississippi, which don't have enough to meet the demand, which I don't, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. But we've, we've manufactured a shortage in those states. This is just a logistics question. Uh, and I think the end result is that you'll have Americans who suffer and Americans who die because they don't get access to a critical drug and they're the ones who need it. Um, so I, I, it just, it, that part of it's upsetting to me, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I'm going to disagree. I think uh, when you have limited resources, you spread them out throughout the country. That's the goal of the federal government um, to make sure that uh, all of these states, you know, as need arises. And one of the things that, you know, uh, Tate Reeves was talking about is, you know, lagging statistics and all these kinds of things. Um, if that's the case, 
you know, a need could arise very soon for a lot of these states with, with uh, infections. And so uh, having the resources uh, distributed to other states other than just Florida, which of course is a large state, uh, having the resources available for those other states, I, I think is, is what the federal government should do. Um, and hopefully we'll have more uh, monoclonal antibodies, uh, you know, treatments for, uh, you know, the rest of the country and, and for, for states that are <clears throat> in dire need. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, Chuck Todd talking about uh, President Biden, who's going to be meeting with the UN uh, General Assembly and addressing them. So let's see what uh, Chuck Todd has to say about the president of the United States addressing mm -hmm. the international community. We can talk about the border crisis. We can talk about the period of about one hour on Friday where we learned mm -hmm. that the drone strike that had been touted as an attack and a victory over ISIS actually killed a group of civilians, including seven children. France recalling its ambassadors from uh, from Washington because of that nuclear deal they were cut out of between the United States and the UK and Australia, and also the COVID booster news that all came on Friday. How is the White House managing all this, and what do you expect to hear from the president at the UN on Tuesday? Well, look, I think he's got a a, a pretty big uh, credibility crisis on his hands because all of these problems, in some ways, showed up after he said something basically the exact opposite. Afghanistan withdrawal wasn't going to be messy. This wasn't going to look like Saigon. Uh, the booster shots, he came out and he essentially said eight months and even indicated maybe we should start it as soon as five months. Now we're not sure if anybody under 65 is going to get a booster shot. Uh, so, you know, he's had, and of course the border has been you know, whether this, you could, we can talk about the border problems. You could say there's years in the making, but the, the, it's pretty clear we have a bigger problem now than we've had in years. And this is a, these policies have turned into becoming a magnet. So he's got a lot of work to do. The UN speech, look, he's got some credibility issues on the world stage, uh, are, uh, to see, make sure that people still view, uh, America as a, not just a stable democracy, but a competent, uh, leader of the free world right now. So what do you think about um, what was said there? Well, the president addresses the United Nations on Tuesday. And when he does, he's doing it in the midst of, uh, as you heard Chuck Todd say, a credibility crisis. Look, I mean, this really cuts to the core of, of Joe Biden and the case he made to be elected in the first place. He expressed that, um, that he would be a kind of the adult in the room would return and that there'd be competence back and that the world would embrace us. Uh, and instead, what happened here is kind of interesting. He alienated France. France was expressing that they felt stabbed in the back by the United States. Uh, and the reason for that was last week, uh, it was announced that the UK and the United States had struck a deal to sell nuclear submarines to the Australians. This after um, nuclear powered submarines, this after France for years had been working on a deal with Australia uh, that to sell them lesser quality nuclear powered submarines. So Australia decides to balk on that deal and go with an arrangement with the United States and the UK. Uh, and the French in a, in a fury um, both canceled a gala to sort of celebrate our national unity that was expected to take place, international unity that was expected to take place last week. And they recalled uh, their own ambassador as well, a pretty di big diplomatic statement um, from the French. 
Now, in addition to this, all the stuff that Chuck and, and Willie were pointing out, uh, there's just scandal after scandal really on the plate of the Biden administration right now. Um, and that includes the, the Friday announcement that that drone strike killed 10 innocent people, civilians, uh, in Afghanistan. That was the September 29th strike designed to stop uh, another attack on our troops. It didn't do that. It just killed a U.S. aid worker and at least seven children. Um, uh, this after you had Mark Milley come out and promise that we had great intel, that we knew it was an ISIS guy, that uh, we've been tracking him, that this was as rigorous as any other drone strike we've ever taken, which of course makes me nervous. I'm like, wait a second, really? It was that rigorous? It turns out either, either all of our other drone strikes had no rigor or this one was just a lie. Uh, and then of course you got the the border crisis, which is blossoming uh, even further than it has all year. You got the announcement from the FDA this past week saying, no, we're not going to give boosters for now to the population overall, despite the fact that Biden made a promise to that effect that that would be occurring beginning this week. So look, Joe Biden's got a lot to answer for right now uh, as he is juggling chainsaws uh, and uh, losing limbs, I would say. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly been a rough month uh, for the president. Um, and, you know, in terms of civilians dying, we've unfortunately throughout <clears throat> throughout our wars over the last 20 years, lots of civilians have been killed. So, yeah, uh, unfortunately, and uh, lots of children. And as a matter of fact, that that's one of the things I think, you know, when, when I look back, I remember one thing that that uh, former President Trump said that I was like, all right, I kind of res I kind of respect this. I still think you're a walking colostomy bag, but I think that you, what you said here, at least you kept it real. He was like, yo, it was, and I'm paraphrasing if, if I'm, I hope I'm not mistaken here, but he said something to the effect of like, you know, they hate us because, of, or, or we do a lot of bad stuff over in other countries or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I remember correctly and people, surprisingly on the left were like how dare he criticize the united states of america for what we do overseas <laughs> i think like, this came up what? if my memory <laughs> serves correctly this is insane if my memory serves correctly this came up in a conversation about vladimir putin i believe and right i believe right. the interviewer said something about all of the evils that putin has contributed has has done and and trump had said something like well we've done some bad stuff too right right and i was like I mean, that seemed like a pretty standard statement. Um, and there's a, trust me, there was a lot to attack Trump on, particularly uh, the words that he stated. But that, I mean, I was just like, all right, you know, he said what he said. But he was getting attacked somehow from the left for something that I feel right. like we've been saying for a long time. Right. Um, in terms of foreign policy. And, you know, look, I, I don't like the guy. I think he's a horrible human being. But I mean, you know, the sun shines on a dog's behind every now and again. And he says, you know, he said something that was true. Um, unfortunately, I mean, if you think that this drone strike was the only drone strike that killed civilians mm -hmm. or killed children, then you haven't really been paying attention. Um, and if you think that the United States uh, and I think it's errors. It's it's not because we're targeting civilians or targeting children. Of course not. That much, I believe, is true. I think the United States usually has good intentions 
uh, overseas usually. Yeah. I think um, we got sloppy. I think we got very sloppy. I here. think we got sloppy. Yeah, exactly. And, but the thing is the commander in chief is the commander in chief. The commander in chief is responsible. And I think that, um, you know, Joe Biden has to answer for that to the international community. Um, but I think that it's, it's going to be, you know, uh, a difficult moment for Joe Biden addressing the UN, but it won't be that bad. And the reason is because I, I think that a lot of the leadership in a lot of other countries recognize that Joe Biden is a multilateralist and that he wants the United States to be part of a global community. But at the same time, is still, you know, is nuanced enough that he is still critical of the UN um, in the sense that it gives power to every crackpot dictator, you know, all of a sudden gets a voice and gets, you know, uh, recognition a lot of times. So I think he's, he's nuanced in that way, whereas Trump had contempt for the UN and for the global community. Um, I, I think, you know, the thing with France, I think France just had a little like spaz out moment where they're like, we're going to take our ball and go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, don't, I really don't think this is and a I, big deal. Can I say something about the French thing? I think that it is a good thing that we are selling equipment to them. Like, I like that. I like anything that, that generates American jobs and makes money. So in that sense, I'm kind of for it. Like, it actually sounds kind of Trumpian that they had a deal with France and that we undermined it and took it. <laughs> like I'm for that ent- like entirely. I just, it, my, my point from before was just a simple point of analysis. It kind of cuts against the image that he projected that uh, we'd be a unifying force with all these countries that our alliances would grow. France, our oldest ally, all of a sudden uh, is canceling dances and yanking uh, ambassadors. So they're clearly ticked off at Biden. Yeah, no, and I, and I, I think, you know, for, for some reasons, they, they have a right. Um, oh, well, speaking globally, a lot of our allies have a right to be disappointed with how things have gone over the last several, you know, a couple of months with the Biden administration. It seemed like everything was peachy keen. And then Afghanistan, and then it was just like one thing after another. Right. And I think they have a right to, to be critical. Um, But I think at the same time that the global community and the UN in particular sees that they have somewhat of an ally in Joe Biden. Um, I think they were frustrated with the exit from Afghanistan because we did it unilaterally. And in particular, because Joe Biden followed the Trump playbook, which was to do things unilaterally. Right. Whereas he talks about he's a multilateralist. But he's like, yeah, we're going to pull out. We're going to do it our way. We're, you know, we're really not looking for your input. And I think that that frustrated a lot of people. But in the battle against uh, COVID, he's set to announce a, uh, a summit on COVID with the rest of the world saying, look, the United States wants to work with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he is talking about climate change, which many countries around the world are concerned about. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, this is going to be largely a positive meeting. It, it hopefully I actually think that it, it will work in Joe Biden's favor uh, because it will kind of, you know, change the news cycle a little bit from the pounding he's been taking domestically. Mm. Now, as far as the booster shots, I think that's way overstated. You know, making that a controversy is kind of kind of ridiculous in my in my view well here's but, why it's let me just make a point wait, of why we got it's a not. clip on that we got a clip on that so let's okay let's, how about this how about this then 
let me just say this because I think it's important. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. <laughs> yes. Now indeed. let's jump yes. to this. Let's jump to this great clip. Yes. Uh, so thank you to Gold Co. and our friends over there. Ten thousand dollars worth of free silver if you have a qualifying account. Let's go and listen to Dr. Francis Collins in his interview with Chris Wallace. President Biden said he announced in on August 18th that they were going to start the pandemic. Yes, he did have a line about, well, we pending approval of the FDA and the CDC. But he talked about starting a booster program on September 20th. That's tomorrow. And he talked about giving it to all people, not just a, a limited group. Now, back during the campaign, he talked a lot about follow the science. Isn't announcing a specific date and a specific plan for the general population before any of the regulators, the FDA, the CDC, have approved it. Isn't that the exact opposite of follow the science? Well, he was basically responding to um, a statement made by eight physician scientists, including me, including the head of the FDA and the head of the CDC, saying we had looked at the data and it looked as if boosters were going to be a good thing for Americans to start to utilize. Recognizing in that speech, he did say CDC and FDA's advisory process has to kick in first. You know, I guess I'm a little troubled, Chris, about all of the buzz that's happening right now about whether the process was perfect. Of course, it's not perfect. No process ever is. But have we lost track of the goals? The goals here are to try to protect Americans from dying from this disease. 670,000 have already. It does look, from the review of the data by people like myself, that we are going to need to provide boosters for people at risk in order to keep this surge uh, from beginning to affect even those who are fully vaccinated. We're trying to do the right thing trying to look at the data as it evolves, recognize things are changing day by day. Maybe we ought to be talking more about that than about whether the president said this a month ago and FDA said this on Friday. Let's try to get the science right and do it transparently and openly so everybody sees what the process looks like. All right, Dr. Francis Collins, who I believe is the head of the NIH. Yes. Um, and to me, it was, I think this clip is kind of funny because when uh, Chris Wallace is about to grill him, he does add the caveat that Biden said uh, pending FDA approval. <clears throat> and, you know, Collins kind of gives him the look like that's kind of the point, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, goes on with a question that, that I think is kind of, you know, kind of silly and kind of answers itself. And I think Francis Collins actually gave a pretty good answer. But what do you think? Well, I think that this, this is a scandal. And the reason I think that is because it's, it's, there's a couple pieces to it. One of them is, remember, two of the, the very top vaccine officials at the FDA just a few weeks ago resigned over this issue. They felt that they were being uh, too pressured by the White House, so they quit their jobs. They, they've had those jobs for many years, uh, and they quit over the political interference that they felt was taking place at the FDA. Uh, that's a big deal. And it's not, it's gone, it's been a kind of a sleeper in the press since it occurred. But I think that remains relevant in this conversation. The other is it wasn't like a slim margin. This was an overwhelming margin. There was only two dissents uh, in the in the little over a dozen people, uh, or I think it was 16 to two, I believe, um, in this vote. And uh, by the FDA panel that looked at this and said, no, we are not going to push boosters on the whole population for now. They did authorize boosters, by the way, for 65 and up. Exactly. And they had originally, 
they had originally already authorized boosters for immunocompromised peoples um, uh, within the last few weeks, I believe. Uh, so the FDA is making progress on on who gets boosters and when. Um, but you know, Chris Wallace was right. I mean, this is you know Biden was signaling in this big COVID speech that to expect that these boosters would would start now, and uh, they didn't. Um, and it's just it's just it's sort of it's another thing. It's like you know, I I think it's important that the science is followed, is acknowledged, and is shared, and that there's that there's transparency around all of this. Um, I that's a super important thing, and for the White House to stay out of you know, especially meddling here. Um, I think following the science means that the FDA panel hopefully is not influenced by outside forces, and instead is only following the scientific sense uh, and coming to these decisions. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's interesting that the right is now all of a sudden uh, interested in the president and the White House staying out of um, the science on COVID. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that's really convenient. The other thing, um, not a I change think the, for me, the by the line way. about, I'm sorry, they're saying not a change for me, by the way, I, I've been consistent yeah, throughout no. on this. Yeah, no, Vince. Like I said, I know you. I'm just making a general statement. Cool. Um, not not aiming anything at you in particular. Now, the other part, I think the line about you know pending FDA uh, approval mm -hmm. and the fact that they didn't approve it shows that the White House doesn't have uh, the kind of uh, influence that people are accusing. Obviously, they didn't have that kind of influence over over. Uh, the scientists there, they stood firm and they said, no, no boosters. And part of the reason they said no boosters is because the FDA and all the scientists there are like, we haven't gotten enough people the first shot yet. So we need to encourage people to get their first vaccination yeah. uh, before we start talking about a third shot. They also, um, said Pfizer, they also said Pfizer didn't provide enough data to justify it. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's um, <clears throat> some of that, too. And I think we are, uh, I think the FDA is correct that vulnerable people, and this is the way we did the first vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, vulnerable people get it first. Right. So the idea that, you know, we will do this in steps, I don't think is necessarily out of step with uh, what the White House wants and what uh, other lawmakers, whether Democrat or Republican, want. That's the way we did it the first time. People who are vulnerable, whether they're healthcare workers or people over 65 or people who need that, they will get the boosters first. So that, mm -hmm. that you know, or get the vaccine first. That's kind of the route that they're going right now. Um, I, I don't see this as a big deal. I don't see this as uh, some sort of, uh, controversy. Um, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, saying something that didn't actually happen or, or a timeline that didn't happen. I mean, you remember Trump's health care plan, you know, that was supposed to happen You know, at one point, it was supposed to happen at another point, then it's supposed to happen. And it didn't happen over four years, it was repeal and replace. And then you never actually got the health plan. You know, and, and I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that. Um, well, I do have a problem with that. Let, let me stop. 
fun, right? I do have fun. <laughs> when you make that kind of a promise. But this kind of thing where I, I believe boosters are coming and you miss, you know, you state, hey, it's going to come at this date and it's actually going to come at a later date or it's coming only for a limited uh, part of the population, the population that needs it most. You know, to me, this is a manufactured controversy. This is not really a big issue. I'm glad that people over 65 are actually the first ones in line to get the booster. Sure. Um, and they're also, we're, we're seeing that they're already into the human trials of the vaccine for kids five to 11. Uh, and according to the reports that I'm seeing, that's actually going pretty well. So, you know, I, I think that this is less a, of a deal than some of the other controversies that we're talking about in terms of this White House and this presidency. This is a manufactured one trying to dump on top of that, which I don't think you really need because I think this White House has made some serious mistakes. Um, so let's move forward and talk about one last thing. Uh, CNN's uh, Michael Smirkanish uh, was joined by a professor by the name of Robert Klitzman mm -hmm. uh, to talk about the concern over it, uh, people claiming religious exemptions for vaccine mandates. So let's take a look at that and then I'll get your reaction. Sure. There's growing concern that people may try to misuse religious exemptions to avoid employer vaccine mandates. Many large corporations already require the vaccination, but they must also, under the Americans with Disabilities Act and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, offer exemptions to people with either a disability or a sincerely held religious belief that prevents them from getting the vaccine. However, no major religious denomination in the U.S. outright opposes vaccination. So what constitutes a sincerely held religious belief? According to rules laid out by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, a religious belief does not have to be recognized by an organized religion, and it can be new, unusual, or seem illogical or unreasonable to others. But it cannot be founded solely on political or social ideas. That puts employers in the difficult position of determining what is a legitimate religious belief and what's a dodge. Well, I think that uh, we need to come up with guidelines. I think that the Biden administration and state and local health departments, for instance, need to say, here is what can be done. Rather than just checking off a box, yes, I want to have a religious exemption, or even providing a statement, because at this point there are lots of templates online on how to get out of having to get a vaccine using a religious exemption, just cut and paste this text. I think having an interview. Uh, with the person and saying, okay, this is your belief, tell me about it. Uh, a problem is that a lot of religious exemptions that people are claiming, and there's lots of them right now, are based on myths. People saying, for instance, that all vaccines are made using fetal cells and I'm pro-life. Well, that's simply not true. One vaccine, Johnson & Johnson, was developed using cells derived from uh, fetal cells from 40 years ago. But those cells have been replicated thousands of times in the lab. And basically every other medicine that we take was used, used was developed using these same lines. So every antibiotic was also you developed using these fetal cell lines. And more importantly, there are several vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, et cetera, that were not uh, developed using fetal lines. So I think uh, correcting these misunderstandings is important. All right. Vince, what do you think? Well, there were a number of things in the in this clip that troubled me. 
One of them is the idea that you would have to be subjected to some sort of interview. That was the suggestion in order to establish whether or not your religious views are authentic. Um, by whom? Like your HR manager or your, your boss or, or your doctor? They're going to sit you down and be like, okay, tell me about these religious views and spare no detail. And then they're going to catch you. And then all of a sudden, no, that's not religious. And, and no, you're, you've got to take the vaccine. So um, I, I think subjecting people to that kind of scrutiny around the issue of religion uh, is, is dangerous and kind of scary. Um, the other is that the guy at the end, he, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. So yes, there was fetal research used to a greater extent in the Johnson and Johnson vaccines and then in the other two, but in both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. Uh, and it, they, they do test on fetal lines that yes, date back decades. In other words, an abortion uh, nearly 40 years ago, abortions nearly 40 years ago did contribute to the cells that they test on. Um, now, if somebody wanted to use that as a basis to make a religious uh, exemption, they are perfectly within their right to do that. Like to say, no, you know what? If abortion was involved in any capacity here or touched any of this, then uh, I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm not supportive of that. And you might say to them, but wait, no, no, no. It was only one abortion and it was 40 years ago. And, and we've been using the same cells over and over and so many medicines were tested on it. And they may say, well, I wasn't, I, I was ignorant of that until now, but with the knowledge I have, no, I don't want to take a medicine that's derivative in any way having touched an abortion. Now, having, that, having said that, speaking as a Catholic, I have made a personal decision. I got the one shot of Pfizer uh, on top of the COVID that I've already had um, because I got you know recommendations that that makes sense uh, for me. And with that said, I've, I've at least rationalized it to myself that, you know, I can't do anything about the baby that's gone. I can't. But if that baby's life can now be many years later, a blessing to a lot of people, then hopefully then that's a, then that's a, a way that, um, that that child's life, that God has, has given us this gift now, uh, can be used in order to save so many. That's the way I've, I've thought about it personally. But this idea that you go in and like, you know, vet somebody's religious exemption to the point that you tell them you don't believe them. I don't know. This is the law for a reason. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't, uh, this is a tough one for me. Um, you know, I, I, I have to read up more about, uh, the use of fetal cells. Um, you know, I, I think cells get replicated so many times that it's, it that's it's right. almost like as though they're not related to the original source of the cells, like HeLa cells and others. Right. Um, right. You know, so I, I, I think it's, you know, the separation is so vast that, you know, I'm not sure um, that relationship, you know, and, and sure. to be honest, I need to be a little more educated on that. Still, um, you know, I, I think the big problem that I had was the EEOC's definition, which I think didn't make sense. It was like, it can be irrational, but it can't be political. Like I, to me, that just didn't make sense. Like, sure, sure. you know, like, so I think the, the EEOC needs to go back and look at these kinds of rules. Um, I do agree that there is no religion that I'm aware of in the, <clears throat> in the Abrahamic religions. And, you know, uh, so Judaism, 
uh, Christianity in all its forms, including uh, Catholicism, including LDS, including Jehovah's Witnesses, um, with the exception of maybe Christian science. Um, and Islam, those, those being the major Abrahamic religions, mm -hmm. um, that's probably what, like 80 five percent i'm taking a guess i don't have these numbers so don't hold me to this but i i would think of probably 85 percent of america and then we'll say maybe 10 percent is agnostic you know uh two percent is atheist and then three percent something else you know uh -huh. what i mean so sure. the large majority of americans are of those abrahamic religions um and i'm not aware of any that says that vaccines shouldn't be taken you know um so the the i i understand the argument that schmerkanish and professor klitzman are trying to make in that you know people just don't want to take it for political reasons and they're going to mm -hmm. use their religion and throw their religion out there um the way people do for jury duty you know it's like oh well i believe that you know, only God can judge or whatever. They use their religion or they say they're racist or whatever it is. They get say out they're racist. <laughs> yeah, that that was an old uh, joke from, uh, I think it was the, the Simpsons where it was like, just say you you don't like anyone of any race and they will not put you on a jury. <laughs> that probably um, works actually. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it does. Um, which by the way, you know, as much as jury duty is somewhat of an inconvenience, I think uh -huh. it's it's one of our American duties. Like, to be part of the justice system. So sure. don't sure. complain. This is just my personal opinion. Don't sit there and complain about the justice system is unfair. And then when you get an opportunity to actually participate, you're like, oh, I want to avoid this. Good point. It's like, go to jury duty, Good you know? Point. And mm -hmm. they give you a little 15 bucks or whatever. <laughs> um, so for me, it, you know, I, I, when I get jury duty, I go, you know, I used to be that way, but I realized like I can't complain about the the justice system and then re refuse to participate. They never yeah. put me on a jury because I'm like, yeah, I, I teach in African American studies. They're like, all right, you're out of here. <laughs> um, but you know, I I think it's it's important. Jury duty is 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 like a serious American duty uh, yeah. to our legal system. And I think, you know, one could argue that to our public health, if you are able, and if it's not a sincere religious exemption, then you kind of have a duty to do that for public health. I mean, you know, individual liberties versus public health, that's the big discussion. Um, but I, my big thing is that the EEOC rules don't make sense. Like- I think I agree. The, that, the wording sense, the wording sense. Yeah, that made no sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, how am I supposed to, to get that? Um, but what does make sense, Vince, is you and I having these difficult conversations, sitting down, discussing these things, mm -hmm. coming together like good Americans should, the way you know you who's listening or watching uh, should with your neighbors, with your friends. Um, and at the end of this, you saw Vince and I disagreed on some things. But we're still friends. We're still buddies. We still love each other. I still love his wife. I still love his kid, even though I haven't met your kid yet. But still love <laughs> her at any rate. Um, and, you know, we're going to remain that way. And we hear each other out. And that's yeah. what, what should happen. 
And that's what's going to make us a better nation and a better place rather than demonizing one another all the time. And we hope that you guys do that. Um, and watch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We have new content. We're going to have great interviews anywhere podcasts are found. Of course, on YouTube or Facebook. Watch. Check out Save the Nation, brought to you by Gold Co. Peace.